Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. Ten players are heading to the NFL Combine next week. We'll talk about them. A linebacker makes a big position change, a.k.a. Bill Carter. Uh, winter workouts, are they something to pay attention to, the competitors of the day, or is that just fluff? Sean, what else do we have to talk about? There's something else. CFB playoff has been officially reformatted. We'll say how Penn they can make the playoff. And we have a uh, two fan questions to get to. So thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the show, wherever it is. Let's get right into it. in a hardcore Penn State football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Yeah, not too bad today. Uh, hump day. Um, I don't think we've talked on here since the Super Bowl, correct? Been so long, long, since I haven't seen your face. Uh, <laughs> Is that right? That seems wrong, but it might be right. I think I think I'm right. Wait, uh, maybe yeah. leading maybe leading up to the Super Bowl, we had our last pod. Yeah, we uh, had some technical. Well, we had Valentine's Day, and then we had some technical difficulties on Thursday, which resulted in me just going to go downtown and have a couple beers when it was all said and done. So, uh, but we are back, and I know it hasn't been a great January or February, but listen, we're back, mother effers. Okay, we're back. Uh, show weekly, probably every Wednesday, but you'll have to just kind of play it by ear because, hey, we have lives, okay? May not seem like it, may not look like it, but we sometimes have lives. Uh, Sean, not, well, oh, you know, I forgot to, I buried this in the lead, but we also have two new commits to talk about as well. So, uh, a lot to talk about. For a second, I thought you were frozen, but you just aren't making any different facial expressions. Uh, a lot to talk about today, Sean. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Yeah, yeah, a lot to get into. Uh, you know, when we don't have two weeks, I mean, things do happen in the college football world. And um, as 
we all know there is no off season around here. And yeah, show does go on as do our lives. Yeah, Sean, let's talk. I'm going to do this and see if it works the way we want it to. It does. Nice. Let's talk about the two new commits first. So one happened, I guess, a week and a half ago now. And would you like to do the honors? Yeah, Michael Troutman. Um, He is a Jersey boy, uh, Nepal Catholic. Um, Really impressive, really impressive highlight reel. Um, You know, plays a little bit of a, I think a little bit of a man amongst boys out there. Um, still want to see him get bigger. He's 6'2", 270, so he's probably going to be packing out about 20 to 30 pounds before, uh, or more, uh, before he really, uh, gets, uh, started at Penn State in a couple of years. But, yeah, this is a, uh, nice pickup for us. Um, I know Michigan State was, was hot on the trail after him. He even had an A&M offer, so, uh, yeah, like I said, definitely a good, uh, definitely a good addition here. Also reminded me of, uh, do you remember Johnny Troutman? Of course. Yeah, I think they you spelled know, it differently, but well, underrated guy. here. You know, I think, don't quote me on this, maybe, maybe besides uh, Smith, Johnny Troutman was probably the last big time uh, NFL draft pick, offensive line. Since Smith. Yeah. Yeah. He had, um, I think he played for the Chargers for a few years. Um, that's going to change this year, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't remember what round he was taken in, but he was, uh, ended up having a productive career. Uh, Donovan Smith, speaking of the Super Bowl, just won his second Super Bowl. So shout out to Donovan Smith. Um, happened to win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. It's pretty, coincidence 149th pick in the fifth round i thought he went higher than that to be honest with you yeah he played for a long time though so um that's probably what you're thinking of and yeah i think i do have somebody in mind who i think is going to go a little bit higher um in the offensive line room but yeah anyway uh yeah it looks like troutman good chance uh, as Corey listed there good chance he'll play center so and he does kind of fit the mold of being a center 6'2 270 will bulk up but yeah, looks like he'll be a good uh, good addition to this offensive line room. We'll be interested to see if his ranking goes up, too. Yeah, Donovan Smith was taken in the second round, so uh, that will probably also be broken in a couple yeah. of months. Potentially, honestly, potentially, not to give away too much of my draft analysis, I don't know what pick he went in the second round, but I honestly could see Caden Wallace slipping and getting up to day two, depending on how his combine goes, but that's conversation for a little bit later. Uh, yeah, uh, I had a friend in middle school, still friends with him, and his name is also Trotman, but he spells it with an A. So spelling this is is really difficult for me. But I think that's uh, how Johnny Trotman spelled his name too. Yes, yeah. Uh, but anyway, no offense to Michael. Excited to have him. Uh, from what I heard, it sounds like he's going to go up the the ratings. So he's he's going to bump up in due time. People at this point in February, a lot like ESPN is really bad at it, especially uh, it really hurts everybody's composite rankings because ESPN so far behind on the 2025 guys that uh, there's going to be a lot of movement for the 2025 guys in the next six months. So I ESPN's 
coverage and recruiting just sucks. <laughs> yeah, and you know, don't quote me on this, but the one guy I thought did a really good job. Let me see, Tom Haver. Oh, I'm not going to be able to find his name now. Uh, Tom H. For, was up with ESPN for a while, and he did a really good job, but he's I think gone now too. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's not even like the analysts themselves per se. I just don't think they put that many resources into it. And it's like a lot of things in life. If you don't put money into it and you don't really care, it's going to the product is going to reflect that. So I don't even really put it on the analysis uh, analyst per se, um, but it's more of a care problem, I think, at ESPN. Tom Van Haren. Yeah, and his contract won't be renewed in June, so he's still there, but he'll be he'll be done in June. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I like this guy. Uh, kind of came out of left field a little bit when this happened, but uh, as far as not maybe be on everyone's radar from a just straight up talent perspective, but a guy that's gonna gonna go increase in the I don't know if he's gonna become a four star or a five star or anything like that, but he he's gonna he's gonna bump up. This next guy, Sean, you could argue, could be one of the cornerstones of this class. And also, we have to be careful because when you start talking about wide receivers in these parts, people tend to get a little bit excited. Sean, would you like to introduce uh, the latest commit in the 2025 class? Yeah, Lyric Samuel. Uh, Penn State continues to recruit the state of New York really, really well. I think they had Two commitments last year, uh, Josiah Brown, along with Tyreek uh, Blanding. Um, so, yeah, they continue to recruit. Bland, well. Blanding was the year before, wasn't he? Um, oh, yeah, he was here last year. Yeah, my mistake. So, but yeah, still good guys. Yes. Uh, you know, Zion able, Tracy. Zion Tracy, too. Yeah. Originally, for, both originally from New York. So, Penn State has recruited New York well for quite a while. Um, New York City in particular. And... Um, Lyric Samuel is from Brooklyn. Um, he's a shade under 6'4", and he's very fast. And everybody who is very fast at 6'4", tend to get D1 scholarship offers. It just tends to be how it is. Um, and his highlights are very impressive as well. I mean, I think the thing with him is he's going to have to bulk up, which he will. He's only 175 pounds right now. Um, and if he could get bigger and developed physically yeah i think this guy is going to be um a, a really really good player for us um big believer in him um he i i heard somebody and i don't want to scare anybody here um i heard somebody you gonna say it you know what cop i'm gonna give are you gonna give the justin tora comp no uh oh. malik mega oh yeah. No offense to Malik, he's on the team, but very, very good asset to the but team. But if if you think about it, tall, fast, never really put it together as a receiver. Good special teamer, I will give him that. But um, there are some differences. Um, you know, Malik came from. I, I want to say, uh, I, I want to say, one of the twenty four seven guys brought his name up, and it just made me think, like, huh. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, he you came wouldn't from run Canada. a bubble screen to him on third and one. Uh, I forgot that play happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I mean, too soon to tell. But yeah, that name was brought up. But 
you know, playing in the States definitely helps. It's just a different, it's a slightly different game down here, but it's just easier to translate into college usually. So um really happy to have this guy in here. And I, if, if he could tran, if he could develop a little bit physically, he's going to be a really good player for us. Yeah. And although we've recruited well in New York, Erasmus specifically has not been a high school that Penn State's had a bunch of success in. I think Sean Fitz mentioned uh, Rutgers having a lot of success there. So getting getting a footprint there is, is somewhere where Penn State really hasn't had that much uh, success in. So uh, that, that's that's good to see as well. I again, I thought you were going to make the Justin Shorter comp comparison. Uh, I think he I, don't, I think he might be faster than Justin Shorter, but uh, yeah, I think this as far as a Marcus Hagens get to start off the 2025 recruiting class, I think this is a big one. Again, Marcus Hagens, a lot of people want to give him a lot of crap. But he hasn't really got to coach his guys yet, so uh, we'll we'll kind of see that for the first time with uh, with some of the true freshmen, but also with 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 the transfer and Julian Fleming. So uh, a lot to be seen, but this is a pretty pretty big get for for Penn State four star guy. Uh, when it's all said and done, could be a really highly touted player in this class. Yeah, I agree. Like some some sites have him a little bit lower than a four star, um, but I think the more he's evaluated, the more people see of him. Assuming he has a good senior year, which I have, you know, I don't have any doubts that he will. Um, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a riser. So um, yeah, and and I hear what you're saying too about Hagens, and this is a big year for him. Uh, before uh, Samuel even gets on campus, like they got to be, we all know they got to be better. Um, at receivers so um good way to get better is to bring in better players tends to tends to help a uh, little bit of booger mcfarland analysis but it's jimmy just and joe's right i don't want to go down that rabbit hole today sean because i just i think about the college football landscape and where college football is and where it's heading and it's just like obviously the better players m- make your team better but it's it's just so top heavy. It's ridiculous, and I, I somewhat blame the Florida schools for not being good enough. I somewhat blame the Texas schools for not being good enough until obviously last year. Uh, I blame the California schools for not being good enough, and all of those all of those uh, athletic recruits heading to to you know places they probably shouldn't be heading, and so. Uh, Regardless, it's just it's just a very top heavy world we live in. Penn State is one of those weird spots, but you not only have to recruit well if you're Penn State, you also have to get a little lucky. You need the you need those three stars to turn into some really really good players. Like for example, Olufashanu. I can make an argument; it's a little less top heavy than it's been. Maybe like this last year. Last year, yes, to be fair. Uh, you know, Yokuzin's in the title game was Washington and Michigan, but but yeah, generally, um, you know, the past I, I think with Saban being at Bama, it really affected things because we've never seen a head coach like Saban. I mean, you could talk about all the great coaches of all time. There's never been a guy that dominated like he did. And now you have Kirby Smart, who um is looks like he's gonna be an all timer too. So I do hear what you're saying in general. Yeah, yeah. I think, don't get me wrong, I think Kirby Smart's a good coach. I feel like Nick Saban 
won obviously at Alabama, but he also won at LSU. He he did some decent things at Michigan State. Uh, I feel like Nick Saban was it proved that he could win as the underdog a lot. Kirby Smart really hasn't had to do it very much. I actually have a losing record uh, as the underdog, as do most teams, uh, including Penn State. But uh, I think there's a point to that, right? You've got to have better players most of the time. And getting getting uh, four-star wide receivers is is the path to that. Four-star receivers that work out, I guess I should say. Yeah, because development's important too. Um, but yeah, uh, you, you you need the you need the guy. Uh, you need to you need talent. So uh, definitely a good uh, start uh, building block for the receiver group in this recruiting class. So we talked about the two new commits. Penn State's up to I want to say nine, ten. Um, somewhere like that. Hold on. They're they're right around there. Uh, as as we head into, uh. The spring, I know, I know. There's already some some visits scheduled 12. for twelve. Okay, wow. Uh, I know we're already, you know, there's there's visits already scheduled for March, so it's really going to heat up. It's going to be, uh, you know, the blue and white games coming up too, and and, and spring practices, but uh, and in say what, Sean, five months, most of the class will be put together. So, yeah. Yeah, the, that's what it's been the past really few years. Uh, we've had our class ninety either ninety nine percent wrapped up or a hundred percent wrapped up. Really, by the time football season rolls around, so I'm expecting it to not be that much different. That seems to be what James Franklin's comfortable with, just having everything for the most part uh, done and over with by latest October. Let's talk about the players that were picked to go to the NFL Combine. Uh, combine starts next week, which I, you know, Sean and I were talking before the show, and it seems like it may be, it feels like it's a week earlier, but everything's a week earlier. I don't know if you're Catholic, but Lent, I feel like, started earlier. Uh, I just feel like everything's starting earlier this year, which don't think that's because of a leap year, but kind of feels like there's some reason for it. Uh, but I do feel like the Combine is is a smidgen early, maybe just by a couple of days, but it's starting February 26th. Instead of like April fourth, just feels like a big difference for whatever reason. Uh, but regardless, Penn State has ten players heading to the NFL Combine. I'm going to try to do this off of memory. Ready? Olu, Caden Wallace, Theo Johnson, Hunter Norzad, uh, Deza Isaac, Chop Robinson, Curtis Jacobs, Daquan Hardy, Kalen King. And Johnny Dixon. Look at that. Uh, those are all the players that are have been invited. Sean, we sat on the throne last year and told everybody that Sean Clifford got screwed out of it. Some crazy people tried to actually defend why Sean Clifford shouldn't have gone, and they were, of course, wrong, because we are never wrong. Um, I don't know, no disrespect to anybody, I don't know if there was any huge... Misses as far as Penn State players not being invited. No, I don't really think so. Um, you know, I, I was a little surprised maybe that Falcons wasn't invited, but specialists tend to be. I don't really know how they pick them. <laughs> it might be different criteria. Um, but yeah, nobody really glaring 
stood out to me. I was happy, like, a guy like Daquan Hardy got invited because I know, you know, he could be looked over a little bit with this, in this defense, but if you watched him, like, I've been saying for two, two or three years now, this is a guy that could play in the NFL. Might have a bit of a limited role because he can't do quite everything, but he has a role. So um, nice to see, um, you know, this is, this is a big group. You don't have many schools that have 10 guys going to the combine. I think Michigan broke a record with what, 14? Yeah, they had they have a ton. They're gonna have a lot of guys drafted because a lot of a lot of seen a lot of super seniors on that team. Yeah. But um it's just rare to see so many, so many players from one school, uh, from Penn State in particular at the combine. Um Daquan Hardy to me, like Daquan Hardy and Caden Wallace were two guys I was really happy that they and Hunter Norzad probably falls into that as well. Uh, not maybe a smidgen surprise that all three were invited. If you would have told me beforehand, I wouldn't have expected all three to make it. I thought somebody would have got screwed. So that was nice to see all three of those guys made it. I just feel like even in past years, a guy like Curtis Jacobs might have got screwed. So uh, just nice to see things work out appropriately. You know, you could argue that Daquan Hardy got an invite because he played in the Peach Bowl. Some some would make that argument. I mean, it doesn't hurt because I don't, I don't think he played uh, awesome in the Peach Bowl, but he played and he played a lot of snaps. And that's going to speak a lot highly about his character. And if you watch him against Ohio State, you watch him against Michigan. He belonged on the field. And yeah. I thought he played well against Ohio State. I thought he had yeah. a, I thought he had a good game, like a legitimately good game. And when he played Michigan, he didn't have to do as much. But again, he he certainly played. He certainly did his part. So. Uh, all the, and you want to look to see if a guy like him, um, who, you know, doesn't have all the traits, he's, he's small. Um, how does he do against better competition? Does he look overwhelmed? And I don't think I've ever seen Daquan Hardy look overwhelmed. So no matter what he's going to find, he's going to find a niche somewhere might be his special team role, hopefully a nickelback, uh, but he's going to find a niche somewhere. Who do you think blows up the combine? Chop. Yeah, I, I'm seeing Chop slipping a little bit and bo- on boards to the really? late to the late first round. Uh, but I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be fantastic. At the combine. I don't even look at the boards really until after the combine because I just feel like a lot changes. But that would, I, I think Chop Robinson is a top fifteen pick. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean before the season. I would say, um, you know, is he big enough? And size is still going to hinder him a little bit uh, just because, you know, he's he's only probably a little bit bigger than and I I don't I don't mean to compare them. I think Chop's better player, but a little bit like Aaron Maven, where Aaron Maven was 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 a bit of a tween. And the thing is, I don't think Aaron Maven was ever great against the run where Chop is really good against the run. Um, Maven was kind of a one-trick pony. You could just get after the quarterback. And in the NFL, you have athletic offensive tackles. They're going to neutralize that right away if you just have one move, if you just go around the corner. Um, but, and he was, and they were both small. So that was the one thing that hold that, um, and teams are a little bit, I think the way draft, I think the way NFL teams evaluate draft picks now, it's a lot about measurables. And they'll just look at a guy, okay, he's skinny. Well, I'm not taking that guy in the top 10 no matter what. And like every GM's gonna think that way. 
Now, right. when you get to between 15 and 20, you could be a little more lenient on stuff like that if you love his tape and he works out well for you. Right. Yeah, I think Theo Johnson's going to have a good day, too. Uh, yeah. Be, be careful to see what he does laterally. But for, <clears throat> from just a... <laughs> excuse me. From just a run fast, be strong perspective, he's going to do really well. Uh, you know, Sean, let me ask you this. Are you paying too much for health insurance? Too busy to read long, complicated policies? Meet Patrick Mott of Motty Health, a former Penn State letterman and your new health care coach. Patrick leverages years of expertise to offer customized insurance solutions to help you develop a coverage game plan that secures your family's health and its future. As a father, Patrick understands the importance of reliable health coverage for you and your family. From individual plans to family coverage, Patrick ensures you get the best protection for your health and your buddy. His groceries and cheap, Sean. Mahdi Health, one broker, endless solutions. And as of right now, you and anyone else can cash in on this. They are now offering up to a $500 cash bonus for every customer referral. 500? So 500 bucks. Can you believe that? Uh, so quit overpaying for health insurance. Visit modihealth.com to schedule a free consultation with Patrick today. Very nice. We'll have to look into that. Um, Patrick Modi, Penn State Letterman, correct? Penn State Letterman. Believe it or not. There you go. There you go. Uh, Let me check that You out. like how I threw that one in there today? Were you ready for that? Yes. I think that the more we do those, the better you'll get with like timing it up just right. So, yeah. So you're, you're saying that wasn't perfect is what you're saying. You're saying I got some room for improvement still. Um, eight out of ten. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. Doing People well. don't know this is like my second flu game. I got a, a, a little bit of a clogged uh, nose game and I'm fighting it out for you the people and patrick Motti. and patrick Motti, yes sean where do you want to go next do you want to go college football playoff what are your thoughts where do you want to go you, um, do you want to go winter you want to go winter workouts let's go winter workouts okay let me just start off by saying this well let me throw up how about we'll throw up the we'll throw up the results as of right now oh that came in kind of bad didn't it that's all right uh, small and bad, so that's kind of useless. So I'm just going to hide it and we'll just go back to our other screen because that's not going to help anybody. Uh, basically, if you're a Bo Perbilo fan, you're really happy right now. To put it to put it simply, uh, I'm going to read out to you where we're at now. Certain position groups. So it, well, let me just back up. Rewind a second. For people that don't know what the hell we're talking about, winter workouts, competitor of the day. Every assistant coach tweets out after their winter workout who the competitor of the day was. We have no idea what the stipulations, the the rules are to winning such award, what you have to do. We assume it's hard work. We assume it's putting in the extra effort. We assume it's probably being a good teammate. We have no idea. Do you have to do something specific? Do you have to win a race? Do you have to lift so much? Do you have to beat a personal record? We have no idea. No idea. So let's just preface all of this by saying we have no idea. Uh, 
But every what a workout, the assistant coaches post, you know, their their competitor of the day for that position group. This year we decided to keep track. Because what else are you going to do in February? Now, some people are going to come out right away and say, oh, none of this matters, and it's just smoke. Well, sure, okay, you can think that, but we don't really give a shit. So I'm going to list out who the leaders are. Now, there are some position groups that don't have leaders. I will then say who is currently tied for the lead for who's won it the most so far, who's won the daily award the most so far. Uh, Let's start with special teams. Right now, long snapper Tyler Dzanski has won it twice. Safeties, Zaki Wheatley has won it twice. Corners, we have a tie with Cam Miller and Elliot Washington. Linebackers, we have a tie with Tony Rojas and your favorite player, Tyler Elson. At defensive lines, Ryan Fisher has the lead with three. In offensive line, we have a tie, or excuse me, not a tie. Nick Dawkins has a lead with two. Addison Penn, by the way, getting on there with one. Uh, tight ends, Joey Schlaffer, Schlafer with three. We'll never say his name correctly. Uh, he has three, and Tyler Warren has two. So just to give you an idea that there's uh, two guys kind of standing out there. Wide receivers is probably the most interesting one because everybody has one. Not a single wide receiver has won it twice, which if you've been following Penn State football for the last year, that is totally on freaking cue for how it's been for the last year. Like nobody really separating themselves. So glad nothing's changed there. Uh, Running backs, uh, no lead here either. A tie between Nick Singleton and Quinton Martin. And then quarterback shot. I left this to the end for a reason. The leader, Bo Prabila with four, Days one, Grunkmeyer has also won one day. And starting quarterback Drew Aller is not on the list. Now, before you click off and you go, oh, these guys are about to start complaining about winter workouts, all I did was post the facts. Haven't even started talking yet. Uh, let me say two things first, Sean. Let me say one thing I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose the real question to, but let me say one thing about non-quarterback stuff because I think that's where we're going to probably focus. Uh, I would like to eliminate this idea that the coaches are just choosing the players that they don't want to en- en- uh, to enter the transfer portal. I think that's baloney and cheese. I think that's just crap. Like N- Nick Singleton wasn't going to enter the transfer portal, and he's won it twice. Tyler Dzanski was not going to enter the transfer portal, and he's won it twice. Uh, Tony Rojas was not going to enter the transfer portal, and he's won it twice. Uh, so you get my you get my point here. So uh, uh, the receivers, we felt like at one point all of the receivers could have entered, and they've given one to everybody. So I do not believe in the idea that they're doing it to keep certain people happy or or recognize certain people just because they don't want them to leave. I think that's a bunch of malarkey. Uh, wanted to get that point across, but then Sean, I wanted to pose the question to you: What stock do you take in winter workouts? And specifically, at the quarterback position, let me say this again and record it. What stock do you take in winter workouts, competitors of the day, and specifically at the quarterback position with the fact that Drew Aller has yet to win a competitor of the day award? And backup quarterback, Bo Pervila, has won four out of the five days. Let me put it this way. 
I don't think it says anything bad about Drew. I just I take it as meaning something positive about Bo Prabula and how well he's been competing. And there's been a lot made about, um, you know, if Bo could improve as a passer, is he a better fit in Andy Cotto Nikki's offense than Drew Aller? Is he a better fit in James Franklin's um, what he would like in a quarterback than Drew Aller is? And I think there is some truth to that. Um, you know, the thing, you know, I, I, I'm not saying there's a controversy or anything right now, but it is, uh, I look at it as a positive thing that he's hanging tough. Also that Ethan Gruckmeyer, uh, came in and has already won it once. Um, so yeah, I think you have to look, it's one of those things that it's a, um, it's like an ink block. I mean, you take out of it what you want to see. So if you want to take it as Drew Aller, I don't know, isn't working hard. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's one way to look at it. I, I, I don't really think I would look at it that way. I would just kind of look at it as uh, Bo Pabula's doing well. And uh, it's a good sign. But ultimately, guys, the quarterback position, if you want to talk about a potential controversy, quarterback position is about is about throwing the football. And that's the end all be all. And I know there's a lot made with, uh, you know, people look to the NFL, they look at Patrick Mahomes, they look at Lamar Jackson. Uh, and those are all guys that can move really Those are all guys. Lamar can move like a receiver and Patrick Mahomes could certainly move. Well, uh, Josh Allen's a good athlete. Um, but at the end of the day, they could all still throw the ball. And that's what it's going to be about. And if Poe can improve as a passer, yeah. Yeah, he's got a he's got a chance to compete in this room, uh, based on what we saw, in my opinion. Um, but I'm not gonna jump to any crazy conclusions either. I still think Drew Haller is QB one on August 31st. I'm gonna jump to some conclusions. Yeah. So Sean, I thought you were gonna say it, but then you didn't quite say it. Uh you said does this mean, does this say whether or not Drew Aller is working hard? I would argue, yeah, probably that doesn't, that doesn't conclude that. But what does it, excuse me, what does that say is, does it mean that Bo Perbila is working harder? I mean, he's won it four out of the five times. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm not saying Drew Aller isn't working hard. Doesn't I'm not trying to say Drew doesn't have work ethic, but does this mean Bo Perbula is working harder than Drew Aller? Or is at least looking like he's working harder? There's always some guys that just have a way of making themselves look like they're working hard. We we all know those types. I'm not trying to say Bo Perbula is like that, but he's clearly doing something to win his competitor of the day award. Again, we don't know what that means or how you win it. But Bo Perbilla has won it four out of five times, and Drew Aller has it won it once. And you're right, Sean. I'm not. I don't think Drew Aller is going to lose his quarterback job because of winter workouts or anything crazy like that. But here's what I will say: the knock on Drew Aller has never been about his tangibles. It has been about his intangibles, his conviction to throw the ball over the middle of the field, his confidence. What you'd like to see a little bit more gamesmanship, a little bit more uh, pizzazz, a little bit more moxie. Uh, a little bit more swag. 
to me, the winter, the winter workouts, there's an opportunity to gain confidence, to build that trust, self-esteem, whatever. This is a great opportunity to do that. It's also a massive opportunity to take control of the team from a leadership perspective. And if the competitors of the day have any influence on that, if I am a receiver or a tight end or an offensive line, I would like to see my starting quarterback win the competitor of the day at least a couple times just from the standpoint of he's our guy, he's our leader. Lead by example. Win the competitor of the day award. I don't care what that award means, but we should go win it, shouldn't we? Shouldn't our quarterback want to win it? Shouldn't our starting quarterback want to win it? And I'm not saying he's not trying to, but clearly Bo Perbula is, and he's doing it. So I'm from a tangible perspective, I'm not freaking out. But from an intangible perspective, a leadership perspective, I absolutely am starting to wonder a little bit. Will he have the trust, faith, confidence, and, and, and all of the intangibles to be the leader? Will his players have the same kind of respect towards him? Because remember, Sean, it's not like Drew Aller's coming in this year, you know, guns blazing from last year, and he's ready for another great campaign. We limped into the into the offseason. Drew Aller came out at times, and Bo Perbula looked good. Not, not only did Bo Perbula look good, the offense looked to have a little bit more giddy-up to it. So what does that mean now if Bo Perbula is continuing to outwork Drew Aller in winter workouts? What does that say if I'm a teammate? Look, I'm not trying to look too much into it. All I'm saying is, it does mean something to me that my starting quarterback hasn't won competitor of the day, whatever way you have to win. I don't care if you have to just pick up jock straps in the locker room afterwards to win the award. I want my starting quarterback to win that award. You know, I remember when, uh, are you familiar with Seth, Wicker, Seth Wickersham? He's covered, yeah, for ESPN, he covered uh, Patriots for years. He does a lot of investigative reporting. And he was the first one to say, Belichick and Brady don't get along. And people were like, no, Brady will never leave. And there, there were a lot of tears in their Dunkin' Donuts coffees when he, when he left. And then he ended up going. And one of, the re, one of the rips between Brady and Belichick was, Belichick refused to give Tom Brady Patriot of the Week award. He just straight out refused to give him it. He'd be like throwing for like 350 yards, just wouldn't give him the Patriot of the Week award. So maybe it's a little bit like that. I, I don't know. Um, but Drew Aller did win it last year, just so we can clarify that. He did win it last year. A couple times, though, right? Correct. But he has won it. So like yes. the idea that like he's yeah. not he because because one person on Twitter was like, he isn't an athletic freak, so he's not gonna win the award. And I'm like, what? What does that have anything to do with anything? I mean, it could. Like, Bo, Bo is probably a more well-rounded athlete. Bo is a more well-rounded athlete. So Correct, but the award is an thing. athlete of the day. Yeah, but again, we don't know what goes into this, just like you said. Ethan Grunkmeyer won the award. Ethan's probably a better athlete than Drew. Drew Aller won it two years ago, or last year. So, Well, it's not like he's me. <laughs> like, yeah, he's got some <laughs> athletic ability, but, like, he's not the athlete that Bo Perbula is. Yeah. Um. So maybe you know, like you said, sometimes when a, a guy looks like they're working a little harder, like, and, and guys, the thing is, 
in today's world, take there off aren't... your shirt and sweat is what we're saying needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, there aren't a lot of guys that don't work hard that are at Penn State. That there really aren't. There, there might be at most three or four guys on the team that really don't work hard. Like it just doesn't happen very much. Now, how, now, knowing that, knowing that there are some guys that work extremely hard and some guys just do enough. I think the guys that work extremely, extremely hard tend to shine a little bit and think with things like this. And they tend to, uh, that they tend to be better, uh, workout, um, you know, workout Harry's or whatever you'd call them. <laughs> workout warriors. I will just, I think there was more, would you agree with me on this? That there was more people on last year's team that didn't work as hard as like previous years. Yes. Yes. So we're we're on the same page there. I I will just come back to this. I'm not going to name names, but yes. Yeah. Uh, I want my quarterback at the end of the day to win the award. I do. And maybe he wins it tomorrow because it's Tuesday and Thursdays. And all this goes out the window. But I don't care. And if I'm Drew Aller, I'm pissed. Backup quarterbacks won it four times in a row, even at my own job. So if a coworker, like, yeah, I want my coworker to do well. But if he <laughs> wins, I don't know, employee of the month, four out of five months, and I didn't even win it the other time, I'm pissed. Well, I mean, they're from what we hear, and I don't really buy this, by the way. And I've heard Franklin say it, and I've heard Daniel O'Brien say it. There's probably some truth to it. Like Drew Aller really doesn't change very much. Like he kind he's very even keeled. And like I said, I don't really buy that because last year I noticed some striking things in his demeanor when things were going well versus when things weren't going well. So I mean, maybe maybe he's not that. Maybe he doesn't appear that upset. Uh, or may- maybe he's not that upset by something like this, but yeah, I mean, I think when you're a high level athlete, you're competitive in everything. Like I remember stories about Saquon being super competitive about like playing a game of Monopoly. Like that's when you're that high level of an athlete, that's how right. you are. You're just super com- like if you lose a game, of, like they're probably unbearable to play a video game with because they take it way too seriously. But like you kind of you want that in an athlete, you know what I mean? You want that inner drive where you're kind of rolling your eyes because the guy is such a tryhard, right? But have we seen that from Drew Aller yet? No, no, we haven't. I mean, so that's my whole point. That's no. why I hear you. What we saw on the field last year, the only time I can really remember, where I was like, okay, Drew, was when he had that rushing touchdown against Michigan, and I was like, maybe that was the moment where he flexed a little bit, and he was like. Ugh! Right, <laughs> he was, and I was like, "Oh, five minutes. What was that? <laughs> was that a little? Was that a little bit of something?" And that, to me, is what I would like to see in the winter workouts. Again, I'm not there. Yeah, I don't know how you win these things, but I would imagine having a little bit of that goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, and I hear what you're saying because uh, I to- I totally agree with what you're saying. With um, the question is nobody's questioning. Drew Aller's talent. He's obviously got a great arm. 
Uh, we've seen him be super accurate. He's not uh, he's not as consistently accurate as I'd like him to be, but a lot of a lot of his best throws, and I said this during the year too, you could usually tell before he even lets go of the ball if it's gonna be a good ball or not. Like he'll step up confidently in the pocket and just kind of nuke it because he's got that he's got that s- special arm that he has. When when he's playing more timid, like you could he played timid most of the year last year uh, a lot of that comes with just not having a ton of confidence and i just don't think he played with that swagger that you need and a swagger is not born overnight either and i think we got to keep that in mind that could be something that's coached out of you uh especially when the pads start coming on in, in the spring and maybe we'll have we'll see how he works with uh Kodal nikki and um yeah we'll kind of go from there Speaking of that, I know we broke this news, I think, a little bit ago. But I guess for whatever reason, Penn State Twitter and media decided that today they were going to make it like official for whatever reason. But we had already kind of known this for quite some time. And that is that Penn State officially has quarterbacks coach. That, that's no longer a question. Uh, Again, Sean, I don't know. Like it says on his uh, on O'Brien's Danny O'Brien's Twitter for like three months that he's the quarterbacks coach, but it's now official. Now it doesn't say that he's officially official the quarterbacks coach, or he's just in that role. I don't know if they have to actually specify that, but uh, he is the quarterbacks coach for Drew Aller, which. Again, is what we reported a while ago. But in case you weren't listening to that episode, it's official. I wonder how how much of the quarterback coach he already was last year with Yersich, because I'm assuming Yersich. Hopefully, would not a lot. Up. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Yeah, good point. Um, because you know the whole idea of a GA becoming the quarterback coach. Um, I do know it worked out with Dion Barnes. And he, I thought he did a fantastic job as defensive line coach last season. But you would, you know, typically it's not the most ideal thing to have a GA, but Franklin loves Danny O'Brien. And I don't think he would get, and he knows him really, really well. He's known him since he was a junior, senior in high school. So if he wasn't ready, I feel like Franklin wouldn't have given him this job. So got to just hope for the best and Franklin has Franklin's a former offense coordinator we got a Kotelnik either to bounce stuff off of so I'm sure it's going to be uh, as as they said as they said like two months ago it's going to be a collaborative effort I'm sure it's going to be Danny O'Brien's room but I'm sure he's going to get a lot of uh, tips and tricks from James Franklin and Andy Kotelnicki so final football thing like Penn State football specific thing that we need to talk about is position changes uh, we did have some position changes that came out last week, and we didn't have a show last week. Uh, there's really four that I wanted to mention. Uh, Tyrese Mills is back to linebacker. He's kind of gone from linebacker to safety, back to linebacker. Uh, Lamont Payne has officially gone from corner to safety. Uh, Makai Flowers, who we've been a big fan of, just hasn't had a chance yet for a little bit. Uh, he's He's officially gone from defensive back to wide receiver following Christian Driver, who's now gone. But where did Christian Driver go? Do you remember? Minnesota. Is that right? Uh, I want to say it was Minnesota. Good question. Uh, 
And then finally, again, to bury the lead a little bit, the biggest one is being linebacker Abdul Carter moving from from linebacker to defensive end. Uh, Sean, not saying that was something we had discussed ad nauseum there for a little bit, but it was something that we discussed ad nauseum for a little bit, that we'd like to see him play more defensive end. And in Tom Allen's scheme, he still might play some linebacker. But in our eyes, not a surprising mood or move. But I think it's going to be a pretty resourceful one when it's all said and done for Abdul Carter. Yeah, yeah. Um, Christian Driver did go to Minnesota, by the way. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because he could be more of a um, um, C, C quarterback, deck quarterback being a defensive end, obviously just the nature of the position. He can put his hand in the ground then, uh, won't have as much to think about, won't have as much read and reaction to think about playing end as opposed to playing linebacker. I do think um, when you think about what that means too for the rest of the, what it means for the linebackers, uh, there are a lot of questions about how Rojas and him would coexist on the field together. Well, this is a good way for them to coexist on the field together. And you compare to last season, you know, you want to keep you want to keep your best players on the field together as much as possible, especially your big impact players. So last season they were able to do that. Adisa Isaac and um Chop Robinson at end. And you'd have Abdul Carter at at at, at um at linebacker. So those are three guys that are going to keep offensive coordinators up at night. Now, obviously, Adisa and um, Chop Code Pro, you're going to have Denai Dennis Sutton there. You're going to have Abdul Carter there. And then you're hoping those linebackers could step up. You, uh, we all like a lot about Tony Rojas, but this is the year, this is the year that he's going to have to step up from being you know, just kind of a part-time player to being a guy that we're going to heavily rely on. And um, so that's kind of how it affects everybody else. And then you have to think about the depth, too, and what it's going to mean for the KV on keys of the world. Um, Tamir Robinson. So uh, there's going to be a ripple effect from this throughout the throughout the whole front seven, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, first of all, I, I like it, right? I, I think this is. I like the move from Abdul Carter from linebacker to a defensive end. PFF showed that he has like top 10 last year in pass rush win rate as a linebacker. So a whole year of refining his pass rushing skills. Uh, Going to be curious how well he does in stopping the run specifically. I know he's strong enough, but it's a different world down there once you put a hand in the ground, hand in the dirt. Uh, so I'm curious on that front. I, I think it is good for him, like you said. It's just see quarterback get quarterback and i agree that it is going to cause some ripple effects what does that mean for the defensive end room like i think zariah fisher is playing really well right now i think i mean vanover is playing really well right now uh deny dennis sutton is playing really well right now so you've got even though you just lost two potential day one day two guys you still have an embarrassment of riches at defensive end in my opinion so much that even you could argue that this defensive line, defensive end, and defensive tackle is actually more uh, has more depth than last year, which is kind of crazy. Maybe not not overall talent, but depth wise, they may be better this year. But you, it does make you wonder, Sean, from a linebacker perspective, with Tom Allen coming in, did he feel comfortable pretty much right off the bat 
Or does he have a game plan in his head for what he wants to do with Abdul Carter? And does this mean, like you said, they feel good about the Keon Wileys of the world, the Dom DeLucas of the world, the Tamir Robinsons, the Kavion Keys? Because those guys are going to have to step up big time with Abdul Carter not going to be there. And no doubt to me, it means that Tony Rojas is ready to rock and roll at the uh, at the will. I think that that has to be 100% clear at this point, which is really good. He did some great things last year. I think that means he's going to do some really good things this year. Very excited about that. And the important question, does Abdul Carter keep the sticks? Does he keep number 11? Yeah, I don't think he's giving that up. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had an edge guy use 11. So. Uh, no, but Navarro Bowman, I feel like, blitz a lot. He did. Yeah, I mean, they all did. <laughs> uh, Micah, LeVar. Brandon Bell uh, blitz a lot, too. Brandon Bell, yes. So, so yeah, I I hear what you're saying, too. Like, it's going to have, with, with the edge guys, uh, Zariah Fisher, we were just talking about winter workouts. Zariah Fisher won a bunch of winter workouts. Um, so he's obviously grinding. Um, and I think you feel really good about your top five or six guys there. Yeah. I agree. Uh, do you think the Makai Flowers move from safety to receiver was because he wasn't going to play at safety or because they need more receivers? Or Canelo Stos? I mean, it could be a combination of both. Um, I was expecting him to play a little bit more at safety. Um, so I was a little surprised by that one. I thought he had a chance to be in the two deep, but apparently not. So I know he was a great high school receiver. Um, you know, he was seen as an athlete when he got here when he got to campus. So I think he could do it. Um, it reminds me a little bit. Uh, we were just talking about Christian driver, a little bit of that kind of move. Uh, Marquise Wilson too. He also moved to, although Marquise Wilson, that whole thing was a little bizarre in my opinion, but um you know, Christian Driver had a similar thing happen to him as well. So you hope that it works out a little bit better than it did for those two guys. But um, yeah, it surprised me, surprised me a tad in uh, the, um, what was the other, uh, uh, Mills moving to linebacker too. I am wondering how that Sam spot's going to, going to shake out. Uh, I think Mills could play. Oh yeah. Sorry. You did say, yeah, sorry. I interrupted. You said, Sam. No, no, no. yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, so I think he's going to be in contention. I think Dom DeLuca is going to be in contention. So I'm I'm really not sure what way that's going to go right now. I think we're just going to play. It'll be a little bit like the 2022 season. I think we're just going to have a few guys play there. Yeah, and you could move Jalen Reed there sometimes if you really needed to. Sure, and um, in Tom Allen's defense, this you know he he his base is was a five two four. It was a four two five. So. I think you're going to see a lot of funky things happen at that other linebacker spot. I think the the move for Flowers too it means like King Mac is ready to go. Yeah, yeah. I I think King Mac is the truth. So, uh, and Dakari Nelson's another guy that didn't hadn't done much yet, but he has good size as well. So, uh, be curious what they do. Yeah, be curious what they do there at that same spot. We've talked about Dom DeLuca. Love the guy. Go buy his sauce. Curious exactly what his snap count looks like. Is he an everyday guy? Probably not. Is he a first, second down guy? We'll see. But uh, we'll have some more time for that.
okay, before so one of the things we wanted to talk about college football playoff wise is a fan question. So we're gonna leave one of those for the fan questions. But Sean, I wanted your opinion on this. There was talks of college football going to a two minute warning. What are your thoughts on on what are your thoughts on college football having a two minute warning? <laughs> you know, the funny thing is when I was younger, I used to suggest this. Um I kind of like having two minute warning. It's like an extra timeout. Um but the thing I don't like about it, and the only reason this is happening, is more commercial breaks. And that's the only reason this is happening. And there's no other reason. Don't let college football tell you otherwise. Don't let these people who are full of bullshit tell you any different. That's why this might happen. And it's just so they could get more ads. And that's a depressing thing. So out of principle, I'm kind of opposed to it. Even though I don't think the idea in itself is that bad. How about this? How about we have a two-minute warning, but you can't go to commercial break? I love it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, the, last two minutes, the last two minutes of college football would take forever. And it's just so funny because then they'll get back to the exact same time duration they were at before they made the, the rule change for last season. And then they'll say that they need to make new, more rule changes because it hasn't done enough to the duration. So... Uh, that is a college football we live in. Speaking of that, there was another uh, meeting today to expand the playoff to 14 teams in 2026, who I don't know anybody and their mother who was asking for a 14-team playoff. So, again, I'm going to be honest with you, John. We've had these conversations a couple times. They're depressing. They bump me out as a fan. If it wasn't for this podcast, I, I honestly would be really upset about having to watch college football. Like the product, in my opinion, uh, is diminishing. Now, there are people out there. There are are, are college football writers out there because one of them uh, tweeted something stupid yesterday where they said, well, everyone's saying it's ruining the sport. They said NIL is ruining the sport, but the interest has never been higher. Just because the interest is higher, just because the ratings are up, just because you're getting more clicks doesn't mean the sport's in a better place. Give me a break. So I'm against a two-minute warning. I'm against a 14-team a playoff, but it's just sad. It's sad, John. I mean, this is kind of where we live. Like, th this is kind of where we're at, though, with college football. I mean, and sports in general. I mean, the, the NFL is discussing another, uh, an, 18, uh, an 18th game and another playoff expansion like there are too many teams in the nfl playoff as it is and now you're gonna add another team and you're gonna add another game the season's too long and it's the same thing with college football i mean there's it's just all driven by the almighty buck and i mean i think when the tv deals started getting massive which they they're, they're over a billion dollars for the big 10 and the sec yeah, this is what's going to happen. And the TV networks, they run the sport now. It's not really even the, the uh, certainly not the NCAA, um, but it's not really even the conference commissioners. Um, it's TV networks, period. And they generally, they're the one entity that always gets what they want. Coaches don't always get what they want. The players don't always get what they want. Conferences don't always even get what they want. The TV networks will always get what they want. 
Well, that was depressing. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. I mean, you have to do what you gotta do, but... I mean, any lies? No. (laughs) Uh, Let's stick with this stuff. First question here from Jay Ferg. Does this new 5 plus 7 rule for the college football playoff mean the highest ranking non-Power 5 team outside the top 12, as long as one isn't in the top 12, isn't guaranteed a spot? What this question is referring to is that they've officially moved away from uh, the the top uh, top six champions to the top five. Uh, What this really means is four of the top five conference champions will get a buy. Then the other one will have an automatic bid. They don't necessarily have to have the fifth spot. Uh, you have to win a conference championship to get a bye. So Notre Dame can cannot uh, cannot do any better than than the fifth seed in the college football playoff, which I know Sean is very oh, happy about. Oh, uh, I asked this exact same question, Jay Ferg, because I was a little confused myself. As far as I know, there is still an automatic bid for a, a group of five team to get in here. So, uh, no. To answer your question, there's still, there's still, you could be 12, Penn State could be 12 and get passed up theoretically by a 18th ranked Boise State. So, I, are you sure? Yeah. Oh, I thought this new rule, I thought it was the five, top five, and then the seven at large. Or is it the five, if they win their, mediocre conference that they're one of the five too is that what it is correct oh okay yeah well that's unfortunate um i do like the notre dame news because yeah they they shouldn't get they shouldn't get anything automatic they shouldn't get anything handed them heck you can make an argument they shouldn't be allowed in the playoff but we won't choose violence today so i love that part um but I just think it's the dumbest thing that Liberty, who got absolutely decimated by Oregon in their bowl game, will get an automatic bid over a team like who who would the twelfth team be this year? Wasn't it gonna be Oklahoma? It just I don't think that's fair. Oklahoma beat Texas, and Texas nearly went to the title game. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh now, if you earn your way into it, like Cincinnati did a few years ago, yeah, I have no problem with you getting in. UCF a few years ago would have gotten in. That's fine. But you shouldn't be able to automatically qualify, in my humble opinion. I'm double-checking myself. But I want to make sure I get this right. I don't see... Anybody specifically answering this question? Does this mean Oregon State, Washington State could could get in? Are they is is Pac twelve an automatic qualifier? No, the Pac twelve is not an automatic qualifier. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't say anything about the G five. It just says 
the five best conference champions plus seven at large bids. It does not say group of five. So, from my understanding, originally it was a six plus six, but now it's five to seven. So, yeah, I'm seeing other things. That... So, I don't think the group of five has an auto bid. Yeah, I don't think they do either. From what I was reading, I, did, I was under the impression they didn't. Which, by the way, that's the way it should be. Again, me. See, but then this says here, this is why I'm confused. In the CBS article, it says Liberty, the team that would have been the 12th seed this year had the playoff expanded, would have entered its Fiesta Bowl matchup to 17 point underdog. Well, Liberty wouldn't have made the playoff. No. No, Columbia. So I don't get that. Yeah. So when I asked this question on Twitter, I specifically asked, you know, basically this. Does this mean no G5 auto bid? College football nerd said no. With the Pac-12 imploding, a G5 team will always have to get an auto bid. Because, from so what I understand, you have a power four, mm-hmm. Big Ten champ, SEC champ, ACC champ, Big Twelve champ. That fifth champion is the highest rated G5. This is from ESPN. It says in most year in most years the five plus seven format will assure the conference champion from the SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve, and ACC is spot in the playoff, along with the highest ranked Group of Five conference champion. The CFP intentionally won't refer to the Group of Five in its description of the format, though, because there is a chance that a champion from one of the f- Power Four conference conferences finishes ranked below the top champion from the American Athletic Conference, Conference USA, Mount West, Sunbelt, or Mid-America Conference. So, from... uh, So, yes. The G5 has an auto bid. Yeah. Yeah, long and short of it. We got a roundabout way of saying that the the G5 does have an auto bid. Uh, They are... It is the champion of all the other conferences, basically. It's stupid. So, which is even makes it more hilarious that a Memphis could get an auto bid and be a top four seed and Notre Dame can't. It makes it even funnier. This is true. That would, that <laughs> would, I would enjoy that. But, um, well, a few years ago, Cincinnati's big win was on the road against Notre Dame. They won by, remember, they won by yeah. two scores against Notre Dame. So, I mean, it's, it could happen. Um, so the and... the point is, you will have the four Power Four champions plus one auto G five bid. The top four highest ranked of those five will be your four five teams. Your your top four, then five through twelve will play each other with five, six, seven, eight all hosting. 
I'm ready. Yeah. Let's go to our other question because this is way out there. This is from Big Willie Styles. Thank you, Big Willie. Does Penn State need a new stadium bigger than Rec Hall, but smaller than the Bryce Jordan Center for basketball, wrestling, volleyball? Would make for a better atmosphere. Bryce Jordan can be used for concerts, thon, graduations, and whatever events they schedule. Uh, you can say yes in a perfect world. But Sean, in my opinion, like, just be better. Like, just be better. Like, basketball, just be better. Uh, be best. The Pagola is a great size, in my opinion, but it's it's hockey. Uh, the BJC was never going to be Rec Hall. Like, it's just, it just never going to be. But in my opinion, as somebody who lives in the State College, I'm very thankful for the BJC because we get a lot of acts that we would not get otherwise. Even in places like Auburn, where I've also lived, they don't get shit for bands or comedians or anything in between. They don't get very much. You have to go to Atlanta. So the BJC has opened up a lot of opportunity to see a lot of great acts, bands, etc. So I'm not against the BJC, but Rec Hall, just for everyone, just to put on the record, I know I've, done, I've said this before, it's so dated. It's 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 really old. Like people don't like people are like, oh, return to rec all the time. Like it's really old. It's really bad. It's really dated. The locker rooms are dated. Uh it's not great. So I don't there there probably is an answer there. Like, do you rebuild rec hall because it's on campus and you make it just like five thousand seats bigger? I don't know. Uh that's probably the answer, actually. But I mean, the thing with rec, too, is, and people don't realize this, we do so much with rec. There are classes that take place in rec hall. There are uh, multiple sports that play in rec hall. So there's already a lot going on there. Uh, to answer your question, in an ideal world, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would be fine with that. Uh, because the Bryce Jordan Center is not a good basketball venue. It's a good concert venue. It is great for something like Thon. It is great for uh, graduations. Uh, you can fit a lot of people in there. Um, but it's not a great basketball venue at all. You're away from the, you're very far from the court. Uh, it's too big for a team that's not that good. Uh, it hasn't been good for uh, really throughout its history. So it's too big. It's too far. Uh, the the seat the seats are too far away, uh. So yeah, the the rec hall rec hall is a superior basketball, a uh, superior place to watch a basketball game. But yeah, Corey's points are well taken. Uh, they don't even have air conditioning at rec hall still. Like there is a reason why they moved out of rec hall in the mid nineties, and it's because it was too old. It was too dated. Even back in nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five, whenever the whenever they ended up moving to the Bryce Jordan Center. So there is a reason that it happened. Um, but ideally, you would want something a little bit bigger and just a little more modern than Rec, but and but a place like Rec to watch a basketball game. 
you would want something similar to that more so than you'd want to the B more so than the than the BJC. Yeah, it's a hard thing. I mean, realistically, nothing's probably going to happen. But it's a good question and a question no. we welcome. Uh, yeah, in the off season. And people don't realize too, Penn State does not own the Bryce Jordan Center. That is rented. So I think that often people get confused about that. Sean, we do own Rack. Yeah. Yeah. What? The BJC is just huge. Like, the, even if the Penn State basketball team was like number one in the country, they'd have a hard time selling it out every night. Especially during the week. Yeah. Like, yeah. During the week, it's hard to get people to drive two hours, which feels like it's hard to get me to go down 10 minutes down the road to go to the game. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people are very busy with their lives. Like, I think the return to wreck. Um, let's let me take a look at the score here. They I were know Penn State losing. losing. Um, um, it is now as of eight eleven p.m. seventy seven seventy. So they are in the game. They're down seven right now. Um, we also had some basketball news this week. Kanye Clary uh, is no longer with the team. So a little bit of. Unfortunate news there, but not uncommon with the first year coach. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I was going to say, but yeah. Hardcore Penn State basketball. Hardcore Penn State basketball. That's all I have, Sean. Maybe we play a football game at Recall. Who says no? Probably somebody. Probably a lot of people, actually. <laughs> oh, oh! what I was going to say was they don't even have the students along the, the side of the court. They have them behind each behind each hoop. So they're not even like right there when they inbound the ball and stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Which well, this is the first time they're back since 2015, which is crazy because we were in school. Yeah. Yeah, we were. Was that... Do we ever win the return of record? Yeah, we won that. We won that year because we. It was it was a non-conference game, if I recall. Oh, we made sure we won that one. Yeah, yeah I remember we blew a game against Princeton. It was a real Pat Chambers special. <laughs> we were up by like twenty and lost by ten. So enjoy the uh, the final minutes of this Penn State Illinois basketball game, but. Thank you guys so much for being here. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe, whether it's on state media or wherever you listen to the podcast. And we'll be back next week. Any final thoughts, Sean? Be sure to reach out to Patrick Monty. Yeah. Uh, For Sean Kate, I'm Corey Lesnoke. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. Until next time. See you later.